Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys toward wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s, and Erica went through a sustained 50-pound weight loss and self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are both certified integrative nutrition health coaches, and together with our community, we are learning to live our most courageous lives by sharing one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys, and by talking about them, we aim to destigmatize the process. We want you to be your own health advocate, feel educated and informed on the latest in health and wellness, and empower you to feel your absolute best. Join us as we in our community share our courageous wellness. Hello, everyone. Today on the podcast, we welcome registered nurse and CW listener, Sharon McFarlane. Sharon tells us her amazing story of how an inaccurate type 1 diabetes diagnosis at age 17, followed by years of up and down health issues, inspired her to take her health and blood sugar into her own hands. Upon her own monitoring, she and her endocrinologist actually observed that she was a type 2 diabetic and that she had already begun reversing her diabetes holistically through the power of real food and small lifestyle changes. Shay now has a business where she supports others to do the same. One of the aspects of Sharon that is so inspirational is her connection to growing her own food. On this episode, she shares with us all that she has learned from gardening and the many ways in which her amazing garden serves herself, her family, and even her community. At the end of this episode, you are all going to want to go out and start your own garden. And if you hop over to her Instagram feed, which is in our show notes, you will get all the inspiration you need. We loved connecting with Sharon. And if you are struggling with type 2 diabetes, she is truly a wonderful resource. For everyone else, Shay is Garden Gold. Also, we wanted to let you know that next week on December 9th, we are hosting our first virtual coaching at 6 p.m. PST. The theme is how to support yourself with food this holiday season with a portion of the proceeds benefiting the West Side Food Bank. Tickets are now available, and if you can't attend but would still like to donate to the West Side Food Bank, you can find all the information in our show notes. Enjoy the episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Ned. Ned produces the highest quality full spectrum CBD from organic hemp plants sourced entirely from an independent farm in Colorado. Erica and I discovered Ned when co-founder Adrian Zimmerman was a guest on our show. We were both really impressed with the products after trying them. One of the things that really stood out to both of us was the transparency of the brand. Ned actually shares third-party lab results, who their farmers are, and details of the extraction process directly with their consumers. We strive to be informed consumers, and Ned makes the process really accessible. I have become a dedicated user of Ned products and have been able to replace my monthly use of ibuprofen to manage period discomfort with Ned's natural cycles collection of salves, tinctures, and roll-ons. This collection is slow crafted with love from an extraordinary group of women and provides a more holistic anti-inflammatory and natural pain relief option. So Erica, what's your favorite? 
My favorite Ned product is definitely their full spectrum hemp oil and I personally use the 750 milligram tincture. When I consistently take it, I notice a huge difference in my anxiety, sleep, and general mood. In addition to the tincture, I also really love applying the hemp-infused body butter to my neck and shoulders before bed. It helps me relax, soothes aches and pains, and allows me to wind down at the end of the day. Ned is also now offering an immunity blend tincture that we are consistently taking. This blend naturally supports our immune system and combines botanicals, herbs, and fungi to offer functional immune support. 100% of profits are also donated to Eco Health Alliance to support their fight against pandemics and promotion of conservation. If you want to check out Ned and try their products and their CBD for yourself, we have a special offer for the Courageous Wellness audience. Go to www.helloned.com slash podcast. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash podcast to get 15% off your first order plus free shipping. Thank you, Ned. We know you're going to love it. You can also find the direct link in our show notes and check out all of their wellness products. We have an exciting new discount for our listeners with Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic offers superfood coffee and elixirs to upgrade your daily routine. The powerful antioxidants, antiviral effects, and immune-boosting properties of mushrooms transform your cup of joe from an energy-boosting treat to a health-enhancing choice. Along with mushroom coffee, Four Sigmatic also offers mushroom elixirs, mushroom hot cocos, and other shroom-filled products. Erica uses the lion's mane in her morning superfood coffee. And even though I hate mushrooms, I absolutely love the products, especially the matcha latte powder, which contains myataki mushrooms and adaptogens. For 10% off Four Sigmatic products, visit foursigmatic.com and use the code COURAGEOUS at checkout. And there's also a direct link in our show notes. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited to speak with you. Thank you so much for having me, ladies. It's absolutely my pleasure to be here. So just to get started, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and how your own sort of personal health journey has led you to the work that you currently do? Yes, absolutely. So like you said, my name is Sharon, and I am from the absolutely beautiful islands of Trinidad and Tobago the Twin Islands. Um, And my journey first started when I was 17 years old and I was um, diagnosed as a type one diabetic. Um, And as you can imagine at that time, you know, it just took my family by great surprise because even though I do come from a family that has a history um, of diabetes, it's typically type two. And um, I was the youngest person to be diagnosed in my family. So we were all just trying to figure out what was going on and how to move forward. And the aunt that I was living with at the time, who I absolutely adore, um, I remember her going through great lengths, you know, to try and make me feel as comfortable and um, as, as much as she could. And she, I remember her making special meals for me. She would cook my food separately. She would make sure that I had everything that I needed, you know, make sure that my medication was, um, was always filled and that I always had it. Um, remind me to check my blood sugars, help me to take my insulin shots and all these different things. Um, so it started from there. And then um, fast forward to 2012 in 
New York City now, um, where I lived at the time. Um, and, and in between that time, I had so many different ups and downs. You know, I had so many different stints in the hospital. I had so many different things go wrong with me physically um, as a direct result of uncontrolled type two, of uncontrolled, what I thought was type 1 diabetes um, at the time. And then in 2012, now I'm in nursing. And I, I remember at that point in time, I had just finished up in school. I was getting ready to start my stand. And in the summer of that year, I had um, a miscarriage. It was my third miscarriage at that time. And I had really been faced with a point in my life where I was at one of the lowest places that I remember being. Um, because not only was I there as one, I was um, being groomed and being trained to, you know, to help individuals who were, you know, sick. I was being trained to teach them how to take care of themselves and their bodies and, you know, how to heal themselves and how to be well. But yet here I was um, pretty much living a lie because I myself was not well. And I myself was not taking my own advice and, you know, following the same guidelines that, would have, that I would have given to them. I wasn't doing that. And then also, being that I suffered my third miscarriage at that time, you know, all of my doctors kept saying the underlying factor between all three of them was uncontrolled uh, diabetes. And I remember saying, you know what, this is it. Enough is enough. I need to make a change. I'm too young for this. Um, and that's when I really took the matters of my health into my own hands. Um, and, you know, I decided that at that point, I was going to really work towards improving my type 1 diabetes diagnosis. Um, and it's in doing that, I remember I um, started working out at home, simple little workouts, nothing too crazy, um, and just improving the way that I ate. Um, and I did that over the space of two to three months. And I remember recording. I'm actually shaking a little bit <laughs> saying this, but I remember recording my numbers, my fasting blood sugar levels my pre and post meal numbers, my bedtime numbers and everything. And I took those numbers into my endocrinologist after about two months of doing that. And I'll never forget the look on her face because she said to me, she said, you did this? She's like, this is so beautifully done. You were so meticulous in what you did. And I remember her looking at me and saying, you know what, with these numbers, there's no way that you're a type one diabetic, like everyone thought. You're a type two diabetic. And at this rate that you're going, you probably won't be referred to as a diabetic in a few months or years from now. And you know, um, that really gave me the encouragement that I needed to push through and really take my health seriously. And fast forward now to 2020, here I am, a public health registered nurse, um, living the life of change that I wanna see in people, you know, living, living the life of example that I want you know, to see others um, who've been diagnosed with this illness as well. So I'm sort of like being the example that I want to see, being the change that I want to see. Um, and yes, it, it, it hasn't been an easy road, but it's definitely been one that's so fulfilling and so rewarding. Um, and yeah, so um, it first started with me. It first started, it was a mental, it was a mental journey, a mental thing. 
um, that trickled into the physical aspects of my world and my life and now to the spiritual. And I'm so happy that I'm here today to share this story. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing that. I think it's, it's really inspiring. And we talk a lot on this podcast about um, really being our own health advocates. And you, it's, it's wonderful to see like you as, as a health professional, you also are like, you're both, you were both a patient and a professional. And so now that like, you've had this journey, it really seems that it's empowered you to help other people take their health into their own hands as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. You know, and I like to say that I have the advantage um, of being on both sides of the bed. <laughs> so I come with a perspective that's not just, you know, the health, the health professional telling you this is what you should do. This is how you should live. This is how, what you should eat, how you should think. But I come from being, you know, on the other side, um, that, that patient side of actually living, you know, living through the hardships and living through the triumphs and living through the the success and and you know just living through it so I, I i definitely come with um with that perspective as well well thank you for sharing that i'm curious um now that you help other people in a professional capacity where what do you find do you find that like you're working mostly with type 2 diabetics who want to also reverse um reverse their numbers, reverse their symptoms. Um, I know you talk about reversing versus curing. And I'm curious, like, is that the primary demographic you have working with you? Or um, do you find people who want to sort of improve all aspects of their health? Because I imagine, and you can talk a little bit more on this, but I imagine that regardless of maybe the specific symptoms or health um, ailments that someone's suffering, oftentimes like a drastic lifestyle change or the way you approach food and diet can improve all different ailments for people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, Ali. Yes. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that you brought up, you know, reverse because I love to say that I reversed my illness. And I'm really careful in, the, in, in those word selections because um, I don't say that I've healed myself. I've reversed my illness. And what that really means is that um, I've learned to manage it with making sustainable lifestyle changes that are, you know, that are able to bring me um, a life of health and happiness, the same life that I've been searching for for so many long, for, for, for sorry, for so many years. Um, and that's not to say that if I stop living the way that I'm living and, and if I go back to the things that I was doing before I was at this place, you know, definitely I'm sure that I will end up in the same place that I was. So I don't use that word reverse lightly at all. Um, and then, yes. Um, so I find that it's more type two diabetics who seem to gravitate towards me um, and towards, you know, the story that I tell, even though I do have, you know, some pre-diabetic individuals that I am working with as well. Um, the demographic seems to largely be type two diabetic woman. Um, and, you know, I've also um, inadvertently helped other people who've been living with illnesses, you know, such as like anxiety and depression and stuff like that. Um, and it started off with, 
me being an example to my family members first and then you know them telling their friends and they're telling their friends <laughs> and you know how that goes and before i knew it like you said not only type 2 diabetics but people with all these different chronic illnesses that i like to refer to as illnesses of lifestyle um and they've seen the major difference that is made in their lives by changing not only their diet so even though the diet yes the diet has so much to do with it i find that you can change your diet today and stick with it for a month or two maybe even three but at some point there has to be a shift within your mindset that has to be made for you to want to stick with it and you know keep on doing what you what you're doing to bring forth the results that you get in Mm-hmm. Um, and from then also, spirituality is such a big factor as well in our overall health. You know, you have to have that one thing that you believe in. Um, yeah, so I feel like if all these three things come together to, you know, make that to make us whole and to make us function as smoothly and as holistically as possible. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think that's so important. But obviously, it's so difficult, right? Because food is so emotional, I think for so many people. And I wonder too, how do you deal with that part of it? Right. Um, because like you said, there are so many lifestyle disease, be it type two diabetes, just so many chronic illnesses that come from the lifestyle that we lead. But oftentimes, right. Like you're saying the lifestyle we lead is, you know, it's, it's our family dinners, it's holiday, right? It's, it's just food is so loaded and so emotional. And I know it certainly is for me. So how do you help people get that mindset, spirituality component? And how did you right work through that kind of first step in changing your relationship with food? Cause I, I imagine, right. It's, it's easier when you are sick or you have a diagnosis, but not always, right? Like it's still, not always. Right. I think that's why we're so sick or we just want to take mm-hmm. pills to kind of put the bandaid on top. But, um, it's, it's still hard. I think sometimes to, Absolutely. to be ready. Absolutely. Great point, Erica, because, you know, this has been a years long process for me. Like I said, I started off in 2012 and in some ways now in 2020, I feel like if I'm still learning so much, you know, a lot of people tend to think a lot of times that, um health and wellness is a destination when it's really and truly not and i didn't fully understand i didn't truly fully understand that until i was you know walking those steps myself it's not a destination you know it's a matter of um it's more of a journey that you will continue to journey in um and it's all about the choices that you keep making on a daily basis um, so for me, it's been a years long process in, you know, trying to get my mind right and everything. And what I've done is I've taken everything that I've learned over the years and I've put it in what I like to call like a package, like a six month package, a 12 month package really to help people so that they won't have to go through all of the ups and downs that I had to go through, you know, I had so many trials and errors, you know, I've fallen off the bandwagon myself and I've hopped back on because of, you know, um, the lack of support and stuff that I needed in my life. I didn't have that. 
And, and now, you know, I've learned to harness that and I've learned to teach other people how to harness that as well. And what I like to do is I start off with doing um, a mental inventory because as I see it, type two diabetes, and I'm sure many other illnesses can probably um, fit along this line too, but I feel that if type two diabetes is influenced largely by the toxins, I like to call it the three T's, the toxins, which would be you know, the not so great food choices that we eat as well as the, the different things that we put on our skins and things that enter our body through the air and all these other different things. So your, your toxins, um, as well as your thoughts, um, a lot of people, um, I've, I've learned for myself that, you know, if, if I approach something with a negative mentality, then, um, you know, things pretty much turn out negative for me versus if I approach things in a positive way, in a positive light, then I have all the success that I believe that I can have. And then the next T will be trauma. You know, um, what's causing you to have uh, type 2 diabetes? What's causing you to really, you know, um, eat the way that you're eating or live the life that you're living? What's, what's, what is it that's influencing the decisions that you make on a daily basis? And I like to start off with getting an inventory of, um, of where you are in life. So I call it um, a look into yourself or a look within. And, you know, I, um, true to my nursing passion, I do a lot of assessments. <laughs> and, you know, just get a feel for where you are, uh, where you've come from, and where you'd like to go. And, you know, sort of build, build upon that, essentially. Yeah, that makes sense. And we often talk about on the show, too, with, you know, regardless of the topic, that oftentimes what's going on physically is deeply linked to what what's also going on emotionally or mentally or spiritually too, which you talk about. Um, I'm curious now to get like a little bit more specific about what your, um, what your lifestyle looks like now that you've been able to make this transition, go through this process over the last so many years and keep up sort of this new lifestyle in a way that you can help impart that to others as well. Um, I know I was first drawn to you. I mean, like you even have this beautiful Instagram account with all these fresh foods and um, gardening. And I know also that you, you mentioned your miscarriages earlier on in our conversation, but you also have a beautiful son. And so I'm just curious, like over the transition of the years um, that you really transformed your lifestyle what does that look like now on a daily basis like how do you incorporate food what is your relationship with food how have you removed certain toxins from your environment um and then also what does that look like you know as you were saying like it starts with your family too so what does that look like for your family as well yeah, that's a beautiful question, Ali. <laughs> so I live on the on the East Coast, um, and we have four distinct seasons. So my my day tends to look different depending on the season that we're in. Um, uh, typically, what it looks like for me um, is first of all, I like to say that I follow what I refer to as a primarily plant powered lifestyle. 
Um, and so I am not a vegan, even though I have been down that road before and I've, you know, tried raw veganism as well as, you know, everyday veganism. Uh, it's another lifestyle that I live right now. I like to say that, you know, I focus on eating primarily plant-powered foods. So I have a garden, like you mentioned, here in upstate New York. And during the, the spring, the summer, and the fall months, we pretty much grow all of our fruits and vegetables um, here at home. Um, and that has definitely played a, um, a, a, a big, a major part in my, in my health and my healing. When we first started gardening back in 2014, um, it was my goal then to be the first person in my family in the U.S. to start a garden. And I really hoped strongly that it would trickle down to everyone um, of us who owned a home. And it pretty much did. <laughs> um, and even to some of my family members in Trinidad as well. So um, having a garden has definitely been the basis and the backbone um, of me being able to, you know, to, to live the life that I'm living right now. Um, and we started off very, very small. We had two, I think it was like four by four beds on the ground. And it's grown into like, you know, a massive undertaking now on about a quarter acre of land. And there we, um, we pretty much grew everything from the greens um, to, you know, our berries and stuff and the fruits, like our apples and pears and peaches. So we pretty much have something to eat in, um, in the major seasons, like, you know, the spring, the summer and the fall that we're able to grow. Um, but it's definitely played a major part in, you know, in, in my health and my being able to have access to, to, um, to healthy foods, to eat foods that I know what you know what's going into them because i mentioned toxins before and um i i have come from a place where you know the, I've, I've spent many nights hungry um when i was growing up in trinidad and even sometimes here in the u.s when i first came you know um so it's not as if i've always had access to cash and to food um, to eat as freely as I always would have liked to, you know, so I've definitely come from a place where I can appreciate, you know, my upbringing and my roots, essentially, to know and to understand the power of food and to learn over the years to not, to, well, to stop abusing it and to not take politely, you know, the things that I have at my fingertips, essentially. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. And, you know, I can, I can relate to certain aspects of that. And I've shared on the podcast that, you know, when I was growing up, like food was very scarce. I was on like free lunch programs and, um, our next meal was not guaranteed. Um, so I know that life and I think it's also connected, right? Um, everything you're saying, it's like, it gives you a deeper appreciation of having food and having food on the table. Um, but it also too makes you understand, right? Like when we could eat and have access to food, it was right. Like what was available. And a lot of times for us, that was like dollar menu, fast food menus, you know? So it gives you like, I think it's just so beautiful that you're taking your experience and then working to spread, you know, this, this goodness and this light because it's so complicated. And I think, not if you haven't lived it, you don't understand it. Cause I've been in so many different conversations 
in the wellness world or where just people don't understand, right? They're like, you know, just make the time to make a healthy meal or, you know, feed your kids this type of food, but it's not that simple if you don't know where your next meal is coming from. And I think that's really special too about you creating your garden. And I'd love to talk about too, like, I don't know if you have any tips for anybody who might be listening, who have been, who has been thinking about starting a garden. I know Allie started a garden um, on her deck um, as well, but I think that's such a powerful, I know a lot of people have been starting like gardens too during the pandemic, but it's such a way, right? Like you said, to take, if you can, to take control of your food, right? And, and grow your own food is, is pretty powerful. I think that really is truly amazing. Yes, it absolutely is. Let me tell you, there is no, there are few greater freedoms than it is to have power over what it is you grow and what it is you eat and to know exactly where it starts from and where it ends you know and to know that you're doing your part as well to make such a big impact on your life and the environment as well as on the lives of so many others because you know ensuring that you have um, a healthy and a well-balanced life not only does it do you good but it trickles down to you know like your family members and your friends and then the people that they're in touch with and the people that they're in touch with too so it 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 the change really, really starts with you. And then it just trickles out to everyone that you know, that you're in touch with. But starting a garden for us, it, it wasn't hard. Like I said, I'm, I'm from the Caribbean. And you know, um, one of the things that we did when I was growing up, because we didn't always have ready access to food, is that we would grow things. Um, so I remember having to go outside. Well, we lived on the fruits. First of all, we had just about almost every fruit tree between me and my other family members that were nearby between mangoes and papaya and plums and, you know, bananas, pineapples, citrus galore. And, you know, so whenever we were hungry as kids, we just go outside and see whatever fruit is in season and that's what we'll eat <laughs> for the most part. Um, but st starting a garden here in New York, it wasn't that difficult. The most difficult part of, 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 of it was, um, you know, trying to figure out where I was going to get the funds to build the garden. But what me and my husband, because it's not just me alone, it's my husband and I, um, he built the beds in the garden. And what we did was after the first two years, when we had like those little teeny tiny beds and we were able to grow so much food, we realized, whoa, we're actually not spending as much money in the grocery store as we were some years before so what we started doing was the extra um two and three hundred dollars a month that we were saving on just buying fruits and vegetables because remember at that time was when i just started you know um eating healthier and stuff and i was spending you know a lot of money in the grocery store buying my veggies and my fruits and stuff but in 2014 that was two years after i started that and we realized we're not spending as much money as we did a couple of years ago. And it's because we're growing our own food. So we started saving that money. And then um, we would save that money all through the latter half of spring and all of summer. And then in the fall time um, or in September around there, we would just add um, three or four beds a year to the garden with the money that we saved. And whatever was left over, we would buy seeds like non-genetically non -genetic modified seeds that were organically 
grown. Um, and we would, you know, and, and, and that's really how we build the garden. It can be a very expensive feat, but it's all a matter of, you know, um, being really smart with your money and knowing what to cut, when and where, and just applying that money as diligently as you can, um, as well as the time and the effort. I remember at that time also, I was working in Long Island um, and I would drive two and a half hours each week for work, three to four nights a week. Um, and I remember going to work every night and every time I got to work, everyone was like, okay, show me the garden. Let's see what's growing now, you know? And I would work all night and then come back home in the morning and head straight to the garden, make sure I watered each and every one of my plants, babies, <laughs> spoke to them, sang to them, then go inside and sleep to wake up and do it all again. And, but I think it's because I had that drive within me because I knew that what I was doing was fueling my health, um, my husband's health, my future children's health, my family's health. And by extension, my friends and, you know, essentially the world, when you really look at it, you know, because it starts with you and it trickles out to everyone else. Um, so, yeah, that's the tips I have when it comes to starting your own garden. You start small, you know, you make little sacrifices um, and you just invest a lot of uh, time and patience. And once you're doing it for your health, and once it's something that you find that you love, you know, it's something that you always find a way to keep doing. This episode is sponsored by Milk and Honey. Guys, I am so excited to share our new sponsor, Milk and Honey, with you because I have been using their baking soda-free deodorant exclusively for over two years. This gentle, aluminum-free, baking soda-free deodorant was designed to nourish sensitive skin while keeping you feeling and smelling fresh all day long. When I decided that I wanted to make the switch to a clean, aluminum-free deodorant, I tried so many different brands, and each and every time I was plagued with those red, itchy bumps under my arm on top of not feeling confident whatsoever that I did not smell. Milk and Honey not only never once gave me those pesky little red bumps, but also passed the smell test, even after some of LA's toughest workout classes. This is my ride or die deodorant, and we are so excited to partner with them. Milk and Honey is a line of non-toxic, effective, and safe bath, body, and skincare products made in small batches in Austin, Texas. They source ingredients as hyper clean as possible, which means both choosing organic and making thoughtful, informed choices on safe ingredients. Milk and Honey is a female-founded and funded brand, and in addition to clean deodorant, they also carry non-toxic bath, body, and skincare products like hydration creams, cleansers, soaps, body polish, and lots more that will make you feel nourished inside and out. If you want to try Milk and Honey, you can receive 15% off your order by visiting milkandhoney.com and using the code CWPODCAST, one word, at checkout. You can also find the direct link in our show notes. That's such great um, advice because it definitely seems like, you know, gardening is a, it's an investment, like you said, of your, in your health. Maybe it takes a little bit of extra money up front, but as you were saying, like ultimately you started saving and then got to like reinvest it and grow it. And then so long-term um, it can provide a savings and you also have this connection to your food. That's something that I really love. Even though I've started a garden um, on my 
deck. I don't have a piece of yard here in, in Los Angeles, but, um, it's amazing what you can even grow in containers. And, um, and there's something about, I think the act of gardening, which I think in 2020, a lot of people have gotten into as a result of being at home, um, more than ever. I've actually talked to like local gardeners and garden centers near me. And they're just like, they're like, we can't keep things in stock because everybody's gardening. But I think that's like such a, that's actually one of the positive byproducts of this crazy year because yeah, it's a good, it's a good thing. Um, and I don't know, but like the way you talk about it too, not only does it have, it doesn't have just effects on even your pocketbook or your, or your health from a physical point of view regarding the food, but like something about connecting to the process of where your food comes from is something that we culturally have disconnected from for many decades now. And I think I read something somewhere that at least in the United States, people haven't gardened up until this year. They haven't gardened like they've gardened since the 1940s. Um, where victory gardens were a thing because the United States was in uh, World War II at the time. And so there wasn't, out of necessity, people had to create more gardens um, for fresh food. And so I just thought that was really interesting that like that's sort of a positive result of the pandemic. It's connecting people more. And I know there's like so much urban gardening going on and even like guerrilla gardening where people will just like start gardens and like any little patch of land they can find. But it really does connect us to the earth and to where, to where our food comes from. Um, which I think is like really good for our soul too. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. You know, not only are we, when we garden, not only are we growing foods, but we're also growing healthier relationships. Mm within ourselves you know um we are um pretty much it 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 sort of takes us on a journey within our souls it's how i like to look at it because then you're really seeing the true meaning of the soil that you would have normally taken for granted on a regular daily basis um and you're realizing wow this soil actually holds life um Mm -hmm. and it holds the keys that actually give me life you know and you tend to take and have um, a better understanding and a better appreciation for the things that we see as, you know, simple things or things that we oftentimes take for granted. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, um, do you do anything, like, do you have any tips for like, if you have too much, this, now we're going in like a gardening thing, but this is fun. Cause I don't think, <laughs> I don't yeah, think yeah, we've yeah. really like <laughs> gone into gardening with any of our guests, but I talk about it all the time. So, um, do you have any tips? Cause I, I I've seen a few kind of fun things, um, that in content that you've put out, but with, if you have excess veggies, um, I know that like, you do a lot of at-home pickling and things like that, especially when you're dealing with seasons. Do you have any suggestions if people are like, don't know what to do with all of their um, produce? Absolutely. Well, first of all, I just want to say that I very rarely do I ever have extra. 
because I have family members and friends who, you know, are always more than happy to stop by and pick stuff that they need. And, you know, um, so it's a really nice feeling to be able to share that with them as well. The few things I tend to have extras of are the things that most people don't find too tasty, like, for instance, beets. I love beets. I can eat beets in my sleep. Um, and I grow a lot of it intentionally. And then like my bok choys and my greens and my spinach and my baby, he loves spinach and greens now. So I'm finding that I'm growing a lot of that too. So what I typically like to do is I pre-cook meals and I freeze them in mason dries. So like I would do like my sauteed um, spinach or, you know, my sauteed beans and stuff like that. Um, I would stew different things and I would pack them neatly and nicely into my mason jars and freeze them so that way throughout the winter time I always have something from my garden every single week at least to eat and it also supplements my 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 food bill <laughs> so I'm not buying as much even in the winter time um I grow food in tunnels as well during the winter so like my lettuces and my kales you know I have those so I can have fresh salads, my carrots and stuff. But for the things that tend to perish, I, I, I definitely either store in my basement, like the root veggies, so the potatoes and the beets um, that we have a lot of right now, um, they're in the basement. Um, um, sorry, the beets are in the refrigerator and the potatoes are just hanging out in the basement in some boxes with some shredded paper. And, you know, we, we use them as needed and they'll, they last us pretty much through the, the spring, through early spring next year. Uh, we have like the onions and the garlic right now. I have those hanging by my door. So vampires need to be aware that they can't enter. <laughs> I use nothing my back door because I have a lot of garlic hanging around there. Um... But yeah, yeah, so we freeze a lot. And I also do a lot of fermenting um, for, you know, those natural probiotics. Um, so I will do fermented carrots or fermented greens, fermented um, um, radishes and stuff like that. So we have all that good stuff. And for, um, for things that I, I, I don't have experience in having things that will be wasted, but one of the things I love to recommend is that, you know, share with your neighbors um, because if you're growing it and you're enjoying it, chances are they'll be so happy to, you know, to have a taste and to be able to say, oh, my neighbor grew this. And, you know, they were so nice enough to bring it over for me. So share with your neighbors, share with your friends. You can do preserves or you can donate it to pantries, you know, especially with what's going on right now in our, in, in our pretty much our world. Um, we're finding a lot of people, um, and this this topic hits hits at home because you know we're finding a lot of um, homeless people who are hungry. Um, so you know, sh sharing your excess food with pantries and stuff like that—that's a really great idea. Um, and yeah, you know, just being a neighbor, just being a really good gardening neighbor who is always there, and you know who who might always have a few extra tomatoes to share or to extend. Yeah. <laughs> that would always be, you know, a welcome thing. I don't advocate to, you know, throw food away. Um, it's not, it's not something that I, you know, um, yeah. Whether it is that you're saying that, you know, you're going to 
added to the soil and stuff, you know, it could feed someone. So if it can feed someone, why not share it? Yeah, agree. We totally agree with that and love that. Um, Okay, so I have a, a question too. It's sort of like something we touched on earlier, but being from Trinidad and Tobago, how, and you guys have a rich sort of cultural um, food. I'm sure there's like cultural like food identity too, right? From wherever we're from, um, whatever our backgrounds are, oftentimes, like as Erica had mentioned, there can also be like this emotional component for food in in a really joyful way too, Um, especially if it's like food that we associate with our family or our cultures in some way. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious now that you have this amazing garden and have this really like plant centric lifestyle, is there a way you feel like you can still celebrate some of the food that you grew up with that you, that like, or even in the way how your aunt really like went out of her way to make sure that you still, still felt included in, in the context of your family and maybe some food rituals. Um, do you feel like you can incorporate your new lifestyle with a hybrid of um, maybe dishes that were particularly like meaningful to you or your family? Oh, Ali, yes. <laughs> 100%. I actually still eat the exact same foods that I ate growing up. Those are the foods that I eat today. I'll give you an example. So, well, besides one, and that one thing is roti. I don't know if you've ever heard of roti before, but it's like uh, the flagship, one of the flagship dishes of Trinidad and Tobago, roti as well as pilau. Pilau is, um, it's, you know, made with rice and um, uh, green beans. Um, you know, traditionally it has some type of meat in it. So on a daily basis, what I've learned to do is take the foods that my country is so known and so popular for and that I grew up loving, take those exact same foods and, you know, what I, the major difference in 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 the way that I prepare them now is that I don't add meat to my food on a daily basis mm-hmm. and I do not cook with oil. Um, so um, what I've done is I have taught a few people, including my family members, how to cook and prepare their foods without oils and without meats. And not only that, but I've taught them how to... Um, how to do that and still cook for their family. Because a lot of people think, so like I mentioned earlier, I follow what is what I refer to as a primarily plant-powered lifestyle. And I just try to focus on eating more fruits and vegetables, more whole foods as much as I possibly can. Now, I'm not the only person in my household. My husband, you know, he eats meat on the occasion. And I don't ever want him to feel as if he can't do it because of me but at the same time I'm the one who cooks the food for the most part he does sometimes but it's mostly me um so I've learned to cook the basic foods like let's say for today we're going to be eating some rice and some red beans if he wants some type of stew chicken on the side or you know some potato salad to go along with that we've switched from using um like a regular meal to like a plant a plant-based meal and I will cook the beans and stuff without any meat or any type of stuff in it. Um, the same thing for the rice and, you know, make each, essentially make each meal as plant-based as possible, but yet still, if he decides, you know, he wants to have a piece of meat today or 
this week or whenever it is, I, I can prepare that for him as well on the side. I've, I've mastered the art of preparing uh, meat dishes without having to taste them now. I think I've been doing it for so long um, that it's usually a hit when I do prepare them. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I've definitely learned to do that. But yeah, I just, um, I eat the same things that I would normally eat. So um, be it, you know, like I said, the uh, paleo, we eat a lot of macaroni pie back home. And that's um, sort of like mac and cheese here in the U.S. Um, but I've learned to make that, you know, with, um, with, with plant-based cheeses as well. Good tasting ones, of course, because if it doesn't taste good, I'm not eating it. I'm not going to expect anyone to eat it, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's really encouraging too, that like, again, as we have touched on, you know, to live this healthy lifestyle, to go into this, you know, place where you're really taking your health into your own hands, you don't have to, um, sacrifice, right? Like these, you know, important, because that's the thing, food, is important and it brings us, you know, together with our family and our culture. And we, you know, I think that's the big fear, right? That we're going to lose that if we change our diet, but you know, clearly as you've shared, we don't have to. And so I'm so curious too, like, what is your vision now? Like you've had this incredible journey. You're helping so many people. What is your vision for what's next? Erica, I love to say that, uh, my goal and my mission and my dream in life as I stand here at this moment is to change the narrative and the expectation of who a type 2 diabetic should aspire to be. You know, for so many years, we thought that type 2 diabetes was an inevitable thing and that we had to get it because, you know, my mom had it and her mom had it and my dad had it and his brother, his uncle, their sister had it, you know. And now with the information that we've learned today, that is not the case. You know, you are in control over your life and over who it is that, you know, you can be and you can, um, you can definitely change the, traje- the trajectory of your life. Um, a lot of times people think, you know, I have to go all in and I have to get it all right from the get-go. And that's, that's really not the case. One of the things I love to push and I love to say and promote is that there's no such thing as perfection. If you are looking for perfection or waiting for perfection before you start something, you will never begin. You will never start at perfection. As I like to say, it's not real. Um, what I like to encourage and to promote is that, you know, you make small changes on a daily basis, starting with your mind. You know, change your mind and you will change your life. Um, but then that's not going to happen overnight. So just make small changes on a daily basis. And, and before you know it, you're going to become that person that you were dreaming of a year or two ago. Yeah. Thank you so much. I think that's really encouraging information, especially for, for, you know, like you said, type two diabetics, but for someone from someone who's lived it themselves, um, which is always just really powerful. Okay. So as we start to wrap up, we always ask all of our guests three final questions. So I'm going to start um, with this one. What for you now is your, what does your self-care look like? And what is, what is your sort of like daily non-negotiables for yourself? Wow. Um, wow. Okay. So my 
self-care on a daily basis? I can give you like a rundown on what I do typically on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, um, for me, it's essential that I start each day reading my Bible um, and meditate. Um, I love to use the Bible app and I meditate on that. Whatever the verse of the day is, I would meditate on that and see how it applies to each and every aspect of my life. If I don't start my day off like that, things tend to go a little bit haywire because I tend to lose perspective. Um, so I love to, to do that. And then, you know, just focus um, 10 minutes of meditation and positive affirmations. You know, I like to do deep breathing. Um, where I do things, I would like breathe in and say I breathe in love and then I breathe out and I say I breathe out fear. And pretty much take you know take charge of my day um and start it off on the right foot um another thing that i have to must do on a daily basis is take my my baby for a walk in the morning time that's one of our biggest bonding moments you know and it's also a way for me to sort of get a little bit of exercise in as well i don't go crazy with that um you know i just do a lot of movement during the day um yeah i have to get that in as well as well as to just listen to my body and feed it what it needs on a day-to-day basis. You know, um, I don't always eat perfectly because like I said, there's no such thing as perfection anyway. Um, but I always try to listen to my body and feed it what it wants um, and what it needs to thrive to, you know, just make sure that I'm in as healthy of a state as always as possible and staying true to myself. So, you know, um, if I, if I eat something, if I say something, or if I do something, it's because I truly feel as, you know, it's what's best for me um, at this time. So yeah, being true to myself and being true to the things that keep me grounded and keep me sane and keep me whole, those things are definitely non-negotiables every single day. Thank you so much for sharing that. The next question that we ask is do you have a book that you would recommend to our audience um it can be on any topic something that has been inspirational to you i have three (laughs) (laughs) i love that the biology of belief by dr bruce lipton i read that book and it changed my life you know i would highly recommend any and everyone read that book um, the next one would be the Bible. Um, I read my Bible on a daily basis for encouragement. Um, and I'll never try to push religion on anyone because that's not what it's about. But for me, it's a way, you know, to find myself and to find my purpose and to live, um, to live the life that I believe that I was put on earth here to live. And that book is my guiding light. Um, and then the next one will be um, The Surrender Experiment by Michael A. Singer, Mickey Singer. I can't wait to meet him one day, um, but that book changed my life as well. And so those are the books I would recommend. Thank you. I've read the first one and I also was oh. quite, quite moved by it. Yes. Um, okay. And then the final question we have for you is, what does it mean to you to be courageous? Oh, you know, this is, this is such, wow. For me, it means to accept me for who I am right now 
including where I've come from. And that means acknowledging all of the hurt that I've been through, whether it's been done to me or I've, I've brought them on for myself. And, you know, loving me for who I am, loving myself for who I am, and knowing that even though I can be better, I appreciate myself and I appreciate my person for bringing me from where I am to, from where I was to where I am. And, you know, just staying true to myself, um, not being swayed by anything that I see anyone else doing or hear anyone else say, but just staying true to me. That is so beautiful. Thank you for sharing. And thank you for sharing your journey with all of us today. For anybody who wants to find you, work with you, where can they go on the internet? Um, so on the internet, you can find me on Instagram at, um, at what she did, um, as well as I do have a website and it's SharonMcFarlane.com. Thank you. We will link all of that in our show notes. So thank you so much for being here today. We really enjoyed this conversation. And thank you ladies so much for having me. It was a pleasure speaking with both of you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch via our website, www.courageouswellness.net, where you can also find additional info about our health coaching services, virtual group events, newsletter, and more. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.